Welcome to the Anglers Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. And here are your hosts, AC Insiders, Danny Blanford and Vance McCullough. All right, everybody. Welcome back to this week's edition of the AC Insider Podcast. I am your host, Danny Blanford. With me is my co-host, Vance McCullough. Uh, this broadcast is brought to you by our partners at Sportsman's Warehouse and presented in part by Ranger Boats, Mercury Marine, with our friends that rely on lithium battery providing the juice. Vance, we're getting into fall, starting to see some championship things come around. It's getting cold up here in Indiana. I'm sure it's getting seasonable in your area. Um, grab us a, ho- a guest this week that had the opportunity to meet at the uh, – Boat U.S. Collegiate Bass Championship with our friends down at Green Pond Landing at Lake Hartwell back in May. Uh, you and I talked some about all the cool stuff that's going on in that college space and some of these young guns that are coming out. And I met a young man in the process of swapping out some batteries, and we got a chance to talk and become friends socially. And Vance, this dude's a hustler. Uh, I don't know the total event count this year yet. But when we talk about young anglers looking to bust onto the scenes, I got a good one here. And I want to introduce everybody to Mr. Drew Gill from Campbellsville University. Drew, welcome, man. Thank you, Danny. I uh, really appreciate the introduction and the ability to be on this podcast and talk with you guys today. Um, you know, part of what I, I see is so important in uh, my duty to both, you know, the anglers that I fish against in college and the sport is to really you know, be a good ambassador, both for college fishing and just for the sport in general. So getting to do things like this always makes me really happy. Yeah. So for the folks that don't know Drew Gill, tell us a little bit about yourself, Drew. Obviously you're fishing college. I know you're on the way home from the AFCO Collegiate Open on Lake Darnell. Is that correct? Absolutely. Uh, About back to school. Uh, We just finished up the week at Darnell with uh, ACA and everybody there. And uh, one of our teams actually won the event this week. So it was, a, it was a really successful week. Got a lot done. You know, some of our newer anglers that are coming in got a, a good experience. You know, a healthy dose of uh, Lake Dardanelle in the fall is always good for learning what college fishing is all about, which is about, you know, managing fisheries when they're under severe pressure and uh, controlling the crowds. So it was, a, it was an interesting event for sure. What year are you at in the Campbellsville program, Drew? Are you wrapping up? Yep, yep. So I got one semester left uh, this spring, you know, finish out the fall semester, and then I got the spring left. So I am a senior and, uh, you know, looking looking at the light at the end of the tunnel for uh, my college career, which is, uh, you know, kind of a poor way to state it because I've really enjoyed college fishing. It's been, a you know, a very, very major part of uh, my growth as an angler. But, but uh, yeah, we're coming coming to a close for sure. Well, that was something I wanted to hit on, you know, and it kind of, it was really impressed on me at the collegiate championship at Lake Hartwell, uh, the caliber of anglers that you're competing against in college at this point, you know, whenever I was in college fishing many moons ago, you just had guys that liked to fish who were in college. It wasn't organized and kind of developing into the, the minor league, so to speak, like what you guys are doing now. Uh, what else are you fishing besides college, Drew? I found that very interesting. So, Along with the college fishing that I did in the past year, you know, this was my first year on the uh, MLF Invitationals, and uh, I was able to fish uh, the entire playing division on the Toyota Series and a, and a couple Northern Division events just to kind of, you know, try and put my feelers out and try and get a little bit better at the smallmouth fishing game. But, uh, yeah, I got to fish 
the Invitationals, uh, a good number of Toyotas and some other local stuff. But uh, it's been a busy year for sure as far as uh, the number of times I've, you know, put my boat in the water to bring something back to weigh in. Now, Drew, you're a young guy. How many different fisheries do you think you've seen in the past two years of college fishing and starting that, this stuff? Yeah, so college fishing, that is the biggest advantage of college fishing is that, you know, I, I always say to high school anglers that are looking to potentially pursue it is that it's the best chance to fail on someone else's dollar that you're ever going to have in bass fishing. It's your opportunity awesome. to learn and grow and, and get get the opportunity to see these places for the first time when you're not out there fishing for a $1,700 entry fee or a $5,000 entry fee, you're going out there and you're learning it at a very low entry fee. Or a lot of these schools, you know, no, no expense to you um, getting to go out and compete for your school and try and collect school of the year points. And it's a, it's a great learning experience to learn how to deal with crowds, to learn how to deal with fisheries at non-traditional times, because a lot of times with college fishing, we don't get the pick of the litter in terms of, uh, in terms of scheduling as far as, you know, these places, at the exact perfect times, you know, a lot of the higher tours get those. And so a lot of times we're working around those schedules. And so you're getting to see a lot of very traditional fisheries like, like Dardanelle, like Kentucky Lake, Pickwick, Chickamauga, Gunnersville, the Harris Chain, Chipsimi, Okeechobee, St. Lawrence River, Champlain, Detroit River, uh, Table Rock, Lake of the Ozarks, Norfolk Lake. You're seeing Cumberland, Cherokee, Dale Hollow, all of these fisheries, all the Herring Lakes you're getting them thrown at you at just an absolute rapid pace. And you're really having to make quick adjustments from fishery to fishery because you don't ever have the time. It's not like you're a local in these places and you need to have a few weeks to really try and dial in exactly what you do. Exactly. But you're pulling up, you're getting two or three days to look over a place you've never been to before. And then they're like, okay, go, go catch a big bag, go find a way to collect points for the school. And it, it keeps, anglers learning at a rapid pace which is why i think you're seeing so many college anglers you know <clears throat> evolve and uh change so much more rapidly than any other tour because they're getting so many of these fisheries thrown at them in a very incredible pace and guys are stepping out of college ready to go you know your top your top 10 percent of the college field whenever they make the step up to toyotas or open their jump they're i mean they're not like making a step and staying in there for a while they're moving step to step to step until they get to the top. Guys like Cody Huff, John Garrett, Tristan McCormick, Cole Floyd, um, my buddy Cole Breeden that travels with me, Rob G, who just made the elite in his first try this year. I mean, so many of these college guys are making that step up and immediately, immediately jumping another level because of how good and how prepared they are to deal with crowds and to deal with pressured fisheries over and over and over again throughout the course of the season. Awesome. Uh, you know, you hit on something that I'm going to come back to a little bit later, but, you know, that was the thing that impressed me when I was thinking about what opportunities are available to young anglers. And Vance, think about that for a minute. Imagine being yep. your early 20s and you've already hit 15 of the 25 fisheries that, you know, host events. What, what yeah. I mean, what would that have changed your fishing trajectory? I know it would have changed mine. Oh, would Lord. Yours? Yeah. Yeah, just the varied schedule would have been a big deal. But I want to I want to think a little bit about the strategy when you're hitting these lakes. And one thing Drew you just hit on is you're going to these places and you got to very rapidly develop a game plan, as you said, to score points for your team primarily. Now I was fishing with MLF Pro Brandon Coulter the other day, and we were talking. He was throwing a big glide bait. We we're having some fun, and I I kind of picked his brain about what it takes to actually win a tournament. You have to kind of take some gambles, and when you're fishing 
on your own entry fee, you could do stuff like that. Do you feel pressure on the college side to maybe do something that's going to score points and not necessarily outright win a tournament and gamble on somebody else's dime? Or do you feel like you've also had a chance to develop that killer instinct that you're going to need at the next level? Yeah, so I've taken a little bit of a non We'll have tournaments where teams, like what happened at the Harris Chain that a lot of people saw, you know, last year where a team caught 36-7, that's 60-something pounds for two days to win a college tournament at the Harris Chain, and, and guys doing crazy things consistently on the college trail, you know, going to places like the Red River and catching winning weights that are three, four pounds more than expected is that these guys are going out and it's your top two teams at most of these tournaments other than the ACA championship are what collects you points. And a lot of these schools are sending eight to 12 boats, which means that if you want to score points for your team, most of the time you have to take that killer instinct angle and, and swing for it. And the thing in college is that when you don't have your own money wrapped up in this, and you don't have your own expenses wrapped up in it, and there's not really a whole lot of money to be won most of the time, guys are fishing out there for one thing and one thing only, and that's for pride. They're fishing to go out there and, for the lack of a better way of saying it, look cool and catch a big bag. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of developed yeah. a non-traditional approach because a lot of guys, you know, not all of the college field is going to decide that they want to pursue, uh, you know, a higher level of fishing after they get out of college. And so a lot of these guys, this is, you know, their end of the line. And so they're out there trying to smoke them and leave their mark on college fishing. And I've kind of mm. taken the angle of, you know, let's use this as a learning opportunity and, a, and the ability to stay consistent. I'm a guy that, you know, I'm, I'm, I can uh, collect a good number of, you know, top 10s, top 25s throughout the season, but I'm not truly in contention to win very often because my style is a little bit different. You know, I'm going out fishing high percentage, trying to learn something about the fishery and learn how to make it work and, and systematically go about my decision-making rather than going out and trying to find – because a lot of tournaments, man, when you pay attention, a lot of tournaments are one off one area. And mm-hmm. generally speaking, somebody gets on one or two places that have a lot higher quality of fish, and it's, it's not patternable. And a lot of times when they go back to similar fisheries at the same time of the year, they can't repeat what they did because they'll burn up a place, and the next year it just won't pan out. And uh, so a lot of mm-hmm. times those tournaments get won by somebody – that finds one or two places and doesn't have enough figured out to spread them thin. Because when you start figuring more out, it's systematic. I'm going to go catch a three pounder here. I'm going to go catch a couple of high twos here. I'm going to go over here. Oh, I caught a four pounder here. Versus when somebody just finds one or two good areas that got big ones, they'll catch a four pounder. And where somebody like me, that's a little bit more of a milk run pattern fisherman, I'll pull up, I'll catch a four pounder. I'll run through this area and catch maybe another fish. And then I'm going to go somewhere else. that has got a good population and try and, you know, improve my bag over there. Whereas a lot of tournaments get won by a guy pulling up on a plate and they catch a four pounder. And then they're like, I caught a four pounder. I'm going to sit here all day because I have nothing else to run to. And what happens is these fish keep moving in and out. And these fish reset up on some of these places, or you give them a different look with a different presentation and end up winning a tournament because you had nothing else to go to. So often tournaments get won that way, especially in college fishing. That that was a great point. And, you know, when I when I listen to you say that, that's probably how I've had my most success as an angler at the local level is I don't have anything better to do. So I'm going to milk and catch everything in this one particular area. And when you pick the right area, you win. And when you pick the wrong area, yep. you, you're, you're not in contention. And I, I see, see exactly what you're saying there at the college level where it's like, if I'd have had 10 places, I probably would have tried to fish them all. 
and I wouldn't have, wouldn't have got a hundred percent off of one place. So great, Danny. You know that. one one place where that really comes into play, and it's kind of how you're supposed to fish is down here where I live in Florida. You know, uh, Drew mentioned oh, the Harris yeah. Chain. I know you had a good tournament at Harris Chain. You're kind of supposed to go pole down. You find two bites in one area, and you know, man, this is where the fish are. They're like cattle in a in, in a field somewhere, like a for, and the locals don't even know why. You know, they're here, but they're not. You can't pattern it. Yep. You went unconventional. I cheated a little. I watched YouTube a little. I follow you a little bit on YouTube. Um, when you came down here to Harris Chain this year, talk about your approach and your strategy, uh, being from up north, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, and doing so well down here. How did you do that? So my approach in Florida, not Okeechobee, Florida. So Kissimmee and Harris, the other two, what I would consider the most major fisheries. The, the times I've been there, I've been to Harris twice, Kissimmee once now. And my strategy in Florida is almost always in Florida, one, the odds of you finding a pattern or a consistent theme to why you're catching fish in a place, and those Florida great fishing, you know, the fish over four, oftentimes you don't figure out a pattern. Oftentimes you figure out two or three areas. And so my practice process in Florida is almost always I go into it going, hey, I'm, i I got to find two or three good areas. And I don't want to hook any of these fish in practice. I don't want to smarten them up. And I don't want to throw those unconventional techniques like I do quite a bit in practice because I don't want them to get a good look at it before the tournament. Because Florida is probably, other than the Tennessee River, are the most educational bass I've ever fished for. Whenever you smarten them up, they are smart for days at a time. They don't get dumb again. And so I'll go into it in practice. And in Florida, I almost always exclusively practice with some sort, and this is in the springtime, this isn't in the summer, but in the springtime, I'm going to throw some sort of big swim bait or glide bait in practice, and I'm just trying to draw fish all practice. I'm trying to get a good look at, at what's around and where the highest grade of fish is. I never try and catch, like Harris Chain, I had a top 10 there this spring. I didn't catch a bass all practice. I went out and I threw a big swim bait the entire practice, and just drew follows and drew follows and drew follows. And basically, I narrowed down a couple of those epicenters. So I was on Beauclair and Dora. Beauclair has a good, like, dis distribution of good fish throughout the lake. But there's going to be a couple epicenters around the lake at any given time that are going to have a, a closer concentration of big fish. And that's what I focused on the entire practice, was just finding where the concentration of the big fish was, not just, oh, you know, 30 minutes went by and I drew a four pounder and then another 45 minutes went by and I drew a five pounder and I just need to fish all this random stuff. What I was trying to do is just go, okay, I, I drew a follow here. I drew a follow here. What about, you know, and then I drew a follow three quarters of a mile over here. What about we look and try and find where all of these different sections intersect because there will be those places. And the more fish you get in a small area in Florida, the more often <clears throat> you can get those fish to commit to a bait even when they're pressured. So that's been a big key for me in figuring out Florida is finding two or three key areas where the concentration of fish is just higher, not just, you know, pure size, but, but concentration of those fish goes up. You catch a higher percentage of the fish you throw at. And uh, that's, that's been huge for me. Cool. And then that's the competition factor, I guess. Anywhere, one thing we're learning with forward-facing sonar, we can actually see what's happening was really opened my eyes is how important it is to have multiple fish that creates competition. Like I said, they get a little dumber because they want to beat their buddy to the bait, right? Is that, I think that's part of the reason why that happens when you find a concentration of them like that. 
Absolutely. I mean, when you're getting around a concentration of fish, not only will you have more opportunities to put it in front of a bass, but it, it's the aspect of when bass congregate in one certain area. Generally speaking, especially in the springtime, we're not talking about residential fish. Most of your residential fish that just live somewhere all the time are spread out. There's a fish on this target. There's a fish on that target. There's a couple fish in between just swimming around. But residential fish, they live on one certain spot, and they don't aggregate with other bass. Generally, when you get a concentration of fish in one area, especially in the springtime, you're talking about transitory fish, fish that are moving from one sort of deal to another. And a lot of times these fish are, they're not just sitting there. You know, as soon as fish start feeling that reason to start moving and that, that transitory instinct of, hey, we're going we're gonna to congregate and we're going to push into a certain area, that coincides with the fact that they're feeling the change in the season and oftentimes that means a change in water temperature and as a result, being a cold-blooded creature, a change in their metabolism. And ultimately, you know, bass, when water's very cold, you know, we know that they don't have to feed very often. But when we start seeing that springtime movement of them congregating and moving into certain areas, that is a sign that those fish are feeling the change of the season and they are going to start being a little bit more, uh, you know, susceptible to a lot of the presentations that we try to give them that time of year. Danny, I'm going to tell you what, Drew has certainly learned a lot through this college fishing. And, uh, man, I appreciate it. That's some good stuff you're laying down there, buddy. I'm, I'm learning as we go along a little bit. That's You have definitely been paying attention. Sure. Yeah, I mean, that that's where I'm at, Vance. I mean, when he was talking about the intersection of the different segments and looking for overlap, like in my mind, I saw a Venn diagram. I don't know how many of our viewers know a Venn diagram, but, you know, the circles that overlap, right? And where two circles overlap is a good thing. Where a third circle comes in, that's your, I think, what Drew's talking about, about an epicenter. So I kind of looked at that yep. scientifically. And Drew, I got to ask, what's your major? Uh, business marketing is is my major. Um, that was what you know the angle that I took going into this. I was like, you know, I really want to try and make a career out of this, and that was the angle that I thought was best for uh, you know procuring my my career in uh, the high level bass fishing world because ultimately, when we are not on the water, and even when we're on the water, marketing is our job. We are we are here to to advertise and advocate for both the sport and for our sponsors. So it's been such a you know big help especially getting my degree you know at Wabash Valley College first and Campbellsville where I finished my last two years of school they've done a, a great job with their both their business programs of you know preparing me for what I need to do especially in this business so it's been a it's been a huge help dude strong strong Drew strong answer strong amount of thought I was banking on a fisheries background because your your knowledge set sounded more like mine in in fisheries management and and the biological aspects of it but without a doubt you're spot on with the importance of the sales and marketing and dude i don't know how many minutes we've been recording but it's real clear to both vance and i that that you've been paying attention in those classes and i think it's going to serve you well for sure um you know you mentioned wabash college uh, wabash valley college and then going to campbellsville is it your father that's involved in wabash valley does he coach there? Is that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, me and dad were the ones that uh, started up the program at Wabash Valley College my freshman year. So, yeah, my dad is the one that is currently the coach at Wabash Valley College. Okay, I thought so. And, you know, I'm in the Midwest. I'm in southern Indiana. And I have a handful of friends that have gone to Wabash Valley. You actually just signed an angler from my area, uh, Sam Osbrooks. He and I fished the state yep. team together two seasons ago in lacrosse. Uh, another really talented young angler who's just getting started 
And so Wabash, is that a two-year school? Like a junior yep, college? Wabash type is a two-year school. Yep. Okay. Yep, it's a JUCO. So, uh, you know, I went there for two years, started my – got my gen ed done and taken care of, and then uh, transferred on to Campbellsville whenever I was done there. So, yeah, and and, are, and is that program, is that kind of what it's doing? Because I kind of got the impression in, in uh, looking through some of Sam's stuff, he's going to Wabash College for a couple of years to – you know, do the business thing, but mainly I think in his mind, he's refining his college uh, fishing experience to hopefully transfer to a bigger school. Are you guys seeing a lot of that in your program? Vance, he might've dropped out, but you know, while we wait for him to come yeah. back in, um, you know, think about that for a minute, selecting a JUCO, right? A JUCO for the fundamentals and part of the fundamentals that you're getting, you know, I understand the JUCO thing in the sense that you can get those general education credits that will transfer anywhere. You can get them cheaper. You know, in the case of some guys here in the Midwest that choose Wabash, you're still within a drive to and from home. And in that, in these guys' case, you're, you're still at, in within a, a day's drive of your fishing areas that you already know, yeah. right? Yeah. But when you think about now that a, a junior college is allowing anglers to cultivate that, and then they can transfer to a program like Campbellsville. You know, we don't have Drew with us mm -hmm. right now, but when I hear Campbellsville, one guy that comes to mind is Nick Rapp. Nick is another Midwestern yeah, guy who yeah. fished in college, and he made it to the class through Campbellsville University. Right. Uh, right. You know, I think, I think after that, Nick has gone on to work in the industry, but think about the farm league aspect of what, what this has become, man. I mean – yeah, and that's the kind of feeder program to the feeder program, you know. And, and, of course, if you pick the right major, some kind of marketing is indeed what you need in the fishing industry because, you know, you ain't going to be on them every day. Sometimes you're going to have to, well, as Drew said, always you're going to have to be marketing, doing that part of it. But, and two, you know, I was surprised how far south, you know, uh, Illinois is and Wabash College and, Carbon, uh, what Mount Carmel, where Drew's from, and uh, how well they did on the Plains Division. I started looking, I said, okay, this dude's not doing the Champlain and the Great Lakes so much. So I looked at the map, I'm like, oh, he's out here almost in Kentucky, almost almost a neighbor of yours, and home home lake might be Kentucky Lake instead. Uh, mm -hmm. Definitely Lake yep. in the Ozarks is close by, and that's why it dominated. Drew, I think, is that why you've done so well on the uh, Plains Division? You're, you're close to all of that. Yeah, so um, I've really my, – my fishing style has definitely translated well to uh, our surrounding lakes. Kentucky Lake is my home lake. It's about two hours south of my house. It's a lake where I learned to uh, to break down a large fishery. But, you know, ultimately with Ozarks, Ozarks one is one that I've taken to fairly well because it's, it's a lake that really invites pattern fishing. Because ultimately mm -hmm. rarely are tournaments on Lake of the Ozarks one in one specific area over multiple days. So Lake of the Ozarks is a very good pattern fishery because the whole lake lays out very similarly. And so when you figure out what part of a creek or the main lake fish are wanting to relate to, you can paint it across the whole fishery because the whole place sets up pretty well the same. You know, yeah. another thing on that line too, Vance, along location mattering, and, and Drew, I want to get your thoughts on this because I know that you know, your local fisheries, the stuff that's available to you to, to take off after work or you got a day off and you go fish close by. When you're fishing close, they're, they're yep. all tough fisheries, right? I mean, it's like where I'm at. You, you, a a five-bite day is a good day, right, sometimes? And so... Yeah, so... Yep. 
Yeah, it's it has to change. I've seen it before. You know, there we've had other Midwestern anglers come out and do well. Do you feel like growing up where fishing is tough makes you a better angler where the fishing is good? Is my question. I think it does. I think a major reason why there's a lot of very very high level anglers that come out of you know the, that Midwest section. You know, you got guys that come from Ohio that are really good, and you know, guys like Cole Floyd and and guys like, obviously, you know, in Indiana, we're talking about Jacob Wheeler and college guys like Griffin Fernandez that have been really successful. And uh, <clears throat> and now, you know, me and Trey from Illinois and uh, guys that struggle growing up on tough fisheries. One, they learn how to they learn how to stay mentally tough and, and work through a lot of difficult fisheries under difficult conditions. But it's not just that. Most of the time when we talk about stuff that I fish, you know, in the southern half of Illinois, all these local lakes, when you're growing up and you make the jump to fishing national fisheries, the most beneficial part of it is that you know that if you want to compete at a high level, nothing you learned growing up is going to help. So you're able to throw that away. And then when you wake up in college fishing or in whatever tour you decide to go to and you start fishing all these national fisheries, guess what? You don't have a fishing style. You have to just show up and adapt to the fishery at hand. And so you don't have, oh man, well back home on, on Lay Lake, we, we go and we throw a white swim jig and, and we go and flip and we go and throw a shaky head and brush piles. And so I'm, I'm a shaky head and brush piles and swim jig kind of guy. No, when you come from the Midwest, Illinois, Indiana, whatever, if you're real with yourself and honest with yourself when you make that jump up, you know that what you learned on your local fisheries does not translate. And so you can take that, all that information you learned of just how to make fish bite and a lot of, you know, getting used to doing a lot of different techniques and a lot of different areas and stuff, but you can take that base level knowledge and separate everything that makes every one of your fisheries around the house unique and say, okay, I like these techniques. I know how to do these techniques. Let's take what I've learned and what I've learned about just getting bass to bite and coaxing them into biting and translate it to, okay, this fishery is this way under this certain conditions this time of year. Let's take what I've learned of, of fishing tough fisheries that are fairly small and trying to beat other anglers at catching these fish. And then let's go do what we're supposed to do on those fisheries and beat other anglers at that. You know, it, it's just about the mindset and the fact that you get a base level knowledge of how to fish competitively, especially around crowds, but it doesn't give you the knowledge of how to throw a red trap on bars when the current's up at Gunnersville, or it doesn't give you an idea of how, you need to be fishing Kissimmee grass edges on, on the Harris chain whenever, you know, they start pulling up and they're really getting close to spawning. It doesn't give you an idea of how you need to go to Table Rock and fish fish on bait and ditches. It just tells you, hey, I need to be better at it than everyone else around me, and I need to fish like every fish I throw at is pressured because then I'll put more in the boat. Dude, yeah, no, I mean, that, that's it in a nutshell. And as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, the part about throw what you know out um, – that's counterintuitive to the way that I look at it and your perspective works. I mean, it's worked for you. It's worked for Jacob. It's worked for Griffin and these guys that come out of here. I can think of a few guys. I'll leave them nameless. They're more my age, but guys that came out of the Midwest that were almost one trick ponies in the sense that, you know, a shallow water flipping bite on a tough fishery, you're not going to, you're not going to beat them. Because that's what they do. Yeah. But to your point, when they go to Gunnersville and they're on a red trap bite out offshore, um, 
they get beat like a dog because they were up shallow flipping and that wasn't the bite, right? So, uh, man, there was a nugget in there to unpack, Vance, about, I don't know, there's something jumped out at me about that mental aspect of it. And I know mm-hmm. you've seen you've seen the translation from local to national probably more than anybody with, with big-name guys that have came out of Florida. And we've, we've talked about that on the show, um, you know, learning. And I guess in your case, maybe the difference is, is that down there, they can become a good grass angler. Right. And, yep. and, and if you're a good grass angler and you got a seven event series coming up at a, at a high level, that skill set's probably going to come into play. I mean, what are your thoughts on yep. regional guys coming out? What are your thoughts on that answer, man? Again, from my perspective, it's like you can see dudes that have been in the, been around for years and years, experienced pros, uh, good pros. They'll go somewhere and yeah, they'll be lost. I remember when I went to go fish the, uh, you know, all American qualifier back in the red man tournament days. And, uh, you know, my buddies around here that I, you know, old guys that I'd beaten from out of the back of a boat, I'm a no boater, you know, go up there and do this thing. And they were all like Arkansas river, pine bluff. Good luck, buddy. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know nothing about it. Can't help you. It is a different world. And then you got guys that, you know, uh, some of the younger pros that come out of here and they're like, man, you got to get out of Florida. It's, it's a different world. If you go to Alabama and actually do what they say in Bassmaster Magazine, they actually bite like they're supposed to, and you can pattern fish, and it's so cool, you know. I think a lot of it is is your perspective and how you look at it. Like, am I going to go try and do the same thing I've always done, right, or am I going to try to do something completely different and be open to the new experience? And I think that's where Drew and a lot of these young guys get it, uh, is they seem to be more be more open to the learning and and wanting to you know adapt to something new and different the way that i see it is you know the this is something that i you know started thinking about especially when i started making that transition to fishing national type fisheries if you're going to go travel to foreign countries often if you're going to be you know inter, in an international business man you're going to do business in other countries do i want to have to go around sure it might be simpler to go around and just have to find someone that speaks my language every time i go to a different country but the best way to do it would just be to learn the language because then you can actually speak it for yourself. You don't have to go out and find somebody that speaks your language. You can speak theirs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I haven't heard a better analogy. So if that's your own, um, hang on to that. That'll serve you well, I think, in, the, in, in fishing in general, because that's a strong statement, right? You, you're not relying on a translator or anything lost in translation. You're speaking the language. And, you know, we hit on the... Toyota series, and I don't know if we if we gave you the credit there, but clearly you were speaking their language in the in the Plains Division because you were the Angler of the Year. Did that surprise you in your first season? Yeah, so um, I got to uh, fish, you know, the full Plains Division again this year, and it was last year I I had a good year, but I botched it at Grand, and it it was kind of ugly. But uh, this year I was able to go into it and uh, try and speak the language, you know, everywhere I went. I went to Grand in March tried to play the, you know, the the late winter, early spring brush game transition area, you know, secondary point game and play the jerkbait and A-rig deal because that's the deal that's pretty dominant there that time of year. And it, it worked well. Kentucky went to it in April and uh, like, you know, I that was one where it, it was a great tournament, finished third. You know, if I go back and do it different, I wouldn't. But it's one where there was kind of one of those 
uh, curveballs that get thrown at you that you didn't anticipate, which was that the smallmouth blew that tournament out, smallmouth on bed. And I thought for sure, just like it always had been prior to this point, that the tournament would be one on largemouth. So I made it a little bit of a judgment error in terms of actually trying to win the tournament, but went and fished for spawning largemouth on live scope. And uh, that's that's a whole nother thing to unpack because that's such a weird deal. And then at Ozarks in the fall, I uh, went and and did it a little bit different. Uh, I knew the the deep deal kind of played in the fall, so but I mixed it up. The first day I caught them suspended shallow. The second day I caught them most of my weight off a of marina and some break walls. And the last day I I caught them on some deeper points and channel swing stuff. And it uh it kind of just unfolded. It was one of those situations where you just kind of go on the fly. It's one of those fall type deals where rarely can you lean on one thing for three days but uh it's just you know that's why speaking the language as much as you can is so important because then if you understand the fisheries and you understand the way they change with certain conditions then even if you're doing something you didn't practice or you've never done on that fishery before you can be perfectly comfortable knowing that when this happens in this part of the country under these conditions in a lake that sets up like this this almost always happens and then you can bank on it even if you haven't seen it happen yet Awesome, awesome point on that. Hey, you mentioned uh, live scoping, spawning largemouth. I've been thinking about that some. I'm playing with the scope on my end. I got one question. We won't unpack the whole thing. But when you're doing that, are you in a traditional down-forward mode or are you switching to perspective because they're up shallower? So I'm in a traditional forward mode. If you're trying to learn that for the first time, it's best to learn it on perspective. But the problem with perspective is you can't play with them as well. You know, when you're fishing for bedfish, it, and bedfish you can't see are the same way, you know, the ones you can't see with your eyes. But anybody that's ever fished for bedfish knows that you've got to do everything right at the right time on the right spot on the bed to catch that fish. And in forward, you can see their movements and every little tick that that fish has way better mm-hmm. than you can see it on perspective. But if you don't even know, you know, what a bed looks like in forward and three feet of water, if you can't even find a bed, it doesn't matter. So it's, right. it's best to just like, when you're first trying to learn it, be willing to swap your mount during the, during the day and find them on perspective and then learn how to fish for them on full. It came up for me this year because we were a shallow fishery and a buddy of mine, he was talking about, you know, where they spawn and where they not spawn. And he switched over to perspective and he could see, he could see them moving in pairs, right? He couldn't tell where the bed was or whatever, but he could see they were paired up two by two, which made him stick around yeah. for a while and keep throwing in that area. But he made the comment, he's like, I yeah. couldn't tell what I was doing. I could just tell by their behavior that they were either bedding or wanting to bed. And I hear you saying the same thing. It's yeah. great for locating them. But if you actually want to fish with them, then flip that back down to a regular forward or down mode so you can watch them yeah. at your bait. Absolutely. Dude, that's a great man. We're, we're unpacking nuggets left and right, Vance. You know, yeah, your no, way. man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all got the perspective, the forward. Look, dude, I find spawning fish with a pair of coasters, okay? Right. Son, <laughs> if I can't see them, good luck. They made it to next year. I'm, I'm sorry. You win, fish. <laughs> well, uh, je- yeah, awesome stuff, though. Awesome. I'm jealous yeah, you can great, find them with a pair of coasters. people that are smarter than me. I'm, I'm jealous you can find them with a pair of coasters because I wear coasters, and I got to look That's for – I look for uh, bulges and – uh, muddy water moving around. You know, very seldom, yeah. you know, our our spring spawn on the river systems typically overlaps with, you know, a higher, dirtier water type scenario. So, you know, yeah. even being able to look at them with the coasts is a rare treat for me. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah but thing, you can throw you a spinnerbait on them, though. Yeah, You, you don't have to true. slow down. You can find the right spot and roll the spinnerbait up there. And, oh, what a crazy strike that is. That's fun, you know. Drew, you were talking about, some of the yeah, guys, some of the, talking about some of the guys you fished with, and I think we can really drive home the point here. Um, obviously, you did your thing with MLF this year. You had an awesome season, came up a little bit short of making the Bass Pro Tour, but did well in the Toyotas. And uh, after talking with you for these 30 minutes, I've got no doubt you'll be there. When we talk about Opens Anglers, who just got announced for making the um, Elite Series, I'm going to run through this list, yep. and I want to know if if uh, you fish with them in college. JT Tompkins. No. Is JT, I, as far as I know, JT never fished college. Gotcha. What about John Garrett? John Garrett graduated two years before I was in college. Okay, so he he has college fishing. Trey, I think, is an anomaly. Trey skipped college to get on Trey, the tour. And <laughs> yep, Trey followed the same path JT did. Okay, so they just skipped the college and just hit hit the trails and did it. And then yep. you mentioned Rob Robert G. He's a college angler. Rob G. Good buddy yeah. of mine, fantastic fisherman, and and probably has as many top tens in college fishing as anybody in the history of college fishing. Cool. So I, I put an asterisk by him. Thank you for that. Kenta Kamira. Kenta's on the elite series, so I guess Vance in this case was was yep. he a double qualifier, and that's how Ben got in at nine. Is that accurate? Yep. yep that's. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah, that's how uh, that's how it dropped down. Okay, so then Tyler Williams, college or no? I don't believe Tyler ever fished college either. Okay, so Wesley Gore. I might be mistaken. I'm not sure. Okay, but Wesley Gore. Gore. He fished for the University of Montevallo, I believe. Right, and Montevallo's been winning school of the year, and they're cranking out some anglers. That's no no surprise. Yeah, that's a serious program down there. Oh yeah, you know, and I got the chance at the championship to talk with the coaches and see how they do things, Vance and. Dude, it is a culture. It is a yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. It's it's a small family. We actually just had another Hoosier angler recruited down there, Caden Rochelle. Uh, he does some work with the, with a local company that I have here. Great angler here in our state. He was recruited by Montevallo. He's down there now. I'm seeing some fish pictures from him. He's catching. So they're doing good things. Uh, obviously, Logan Parks. He's a college fisherman. We, we've heard of Logan. Yep. Yep. I fished against Logan. Yeah. So that's four four of the Numbers one through eight, so half of them you fished with in college, and then of course number nine, Ben Milliken. You know Trey and Ben have their own paths, uh, totally different than everybody else's, and obviously there's more than one way to skin a cat because they're both moving on to the elite series. But that's interesting to me. Fifty fifty percent of our guys, fifty percent of the guys who are officially ready to be on the elite series based on the qualification system, um, you've fished against them for the past few years. Yeah, and when so, they make that jump up, it's it's pretty well it's a done deal pretty quick for a lot of those guys because they're, guys they're like ready Christian to McCormick, because they're ready yeah, to be there, they're ready right? to go. Yep, absolutely, and they're and statistically, like when you get those guys, like like another guy, the guy that just won the bracket for for Bassmaster, Easton Fothergill. You look at his statistics last year; it's ridiculous. I'm talking like the bare minimum seven or eight top tens in one season. Average percentage finish had to be like eight or ninth percentile, beating ninety percent of the field every single tournament. Like you know, these guys that are ready, ready. Whenever they make that step up, and when they do, you know it's over. Like I was talking to Rob when he decided to fish the Opens this season. I was like, dude, you just need to go for it because ultimately, as soon as you decide to do it, you're going to get it done. And the first time he goes out, he got it done. You look at this season. I mean, there's a lot of guys like yeah, John lit it on fire. 
Trey lit it on fire. JT lit it on fire. But you look at Rob G's season, the dude barely missed a check all year. Like, he was – he didn't have a bunch of top tens. I think he had two top tens. But the other four or five – four or five of the other seven events, he's, like, squarely between 10th and 30th in those events. I mean, just insanely consistent because these college guys are coming up having either seen these places or seen places just like these already lots of times, multiple times before they get to that point. Drew Vance and I, as older guys, we've sat, we've sat here and watched a lot of changes with MLF and Bass and stuff like that. And we pontificated on, you know, will, will Bass ever be the same and all that. And Vance, I know you and I have had some conversations on the podcast and over a cold drink at times about, you know, the void that was left when Bass changed. Give me your thoughts hearing a guy like Drew talk about his colleagues and his peers in their 20s coming in and filling this void on the Elite Series. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like the competition is going to get stronger. And 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 when, when we thought about this years ago, we didn't think that. Talk, talk, to, talk to me and Drew a little bit about the caliper of anglers that are now being recruited. I mean, it's there, right? Yeah. Oh, man, this is incredible. It's uh... – you know, you can already tell Drew is going to be a tremendous asset to the sport. Not only has he learned deep lessons, but to me, the most important part of that is he's sharing this, elevating the state of the art of our sport. And that's when it gets really good. You know, iron mm -hmm. sharpens iron. So somebody's listening to the Drew right now. It's going to come up and probably maybe edge Drew out in a tournament with some of the information that he shared with him. But that's kind of what happens, right? You. Anybody who's done well stands on the shoulders of giants who've come before them. And the next generation, they've been paying attention. They've been learning. They're applying these lessons. And they are advancing the sport even further. You can tell they're using all the tools available to them, as well as the knowledge that they've, they've uh, inherited. And I would have to think in something like the college uh, fishing culture, it's got to be a lot like the college football culture, where you got that spark plug, that leader on the team, uh, who makes everybody around him better. Drew, what is the, the culture like in the uh, – I guess you don't have a locker room, so to speak, but on your team, say, do you all do a uh, you know, good job of, of educating the other guys on your team, or is it overly competitive amongst guys within the team, or do you all share information well? So that is the most um, controversial part of college fishing is always about the information-sharing aspect and how teams work together amongst their teams and amongst others. Because ultimately, guys are here for twofold reasons. One, they're in college fishing because they want to advance their own career, their own pursuits, and their own opportunities. Two, a lot of these guys are, you know, especially with the Montevallo, Carson Newman, McKendry, Adrian, <clears throat> Auburn culture, and, and our team included, Murray State, a lot of these schools that are competing for school of the year, they, they have a second goal, which is to compete and do well in school of the year. And these, those two goals come to blows a lot of times because guys are really self-interested in what they want to and, – and it's partially why some teams like the University of Montevallo that, that do so well in school of the year, honestly, sometimes – and this isn't always the case – there's a lot of times where they don't work together very well as a team, but it's because there's so many type A, alpha, male kind of anglers in the same space – if you got two guys on your line that are butting heads, they're, you know, disagreeing about what blocks that they need to set up and what decisions they need to make. If one guy makes a bad decision, the quarterback's getting sacked. Everybody's got to be making good decisions. On fishing, 
dude, like, if you have a team that's got 12 boats out there in a tournament, they could all be making very self-interested decisions. But if two of them do well and your other 10 teams fail, you had a great tournament because two of your teams did well. And so that's where it really comes to blows a lot of times. And our team culture, is it's pretty good. We, we share information or are good about that. But, like, that's another, you know, a whole thing to unpack because ultimately, like, when you get into the information sharing and talking amongst teammates and breaking these places down, one of the situations where you got to be really sure that what you're getting is honest information and you got to be really careful about what information you actually listen to. So it's, it's one of the situations that's definitely the most controversial thing in college fishing day in and day out is just how these teams communicate amongst themselves. Well, knowing who to listen to, that's a big part too, because I mean, even in the elite series and, and, you know, MLF, BBT and all those, those guys share with, a trusted group of friends. They room with a certain group of guys and you'll see yeah. everybody in a particular house makes the top 10. Uh, they will pick and choose who and what they share with and, and knowing who to listen to and where that guy's really coming from in his spirit. Is he really my friend is really helping me or, you know, trying to throw me a curveball here. That's important. And I think it's just yeah. yet another factor that social aspect that you're picking up now, Danny, to your point is going to make these guys that much better, that much faster on the major tours, certainly. I think yeah. the takeaway for me in that and, and hearing the, I get it, you know, Drew, I've shared with you when we introduced ourselves to one another that one of my first projects when I went to work for the Association of Collegiate Anglers for Mr. Middleton is we had to put together a school of the year program. And so to be sitting here, I don't know how many years later at this point, I'm guessing 10, 12, 13, I'm sitting at the same office desk talking to an angler who talks about a program that was born at this same desk. Like I've got goosebumps, you know, we, Wade knew when we put that school of the year together program, how important a, a unified ranking systems would be. And we thought and talked yeah. a lot about different implications, but I don't think we ever thought 10 years, 12 years down the road, how that program could influence the way teams communicate and how they go about a season uh, we definitely Absolutely. didn't. We definitely didn't anticipate the rankings becoming such a big deal that it that it allowed college programs to flourish in the sense that being the number one school and that kind of thing. Like we knew that there was an opportunity, but I think I'll have to talk to Wade about that again. I, I in conversations at the championship, we were surprised at how far that had come. And what I hear you saying is, it's an anchor. It's an anchor in how things are done and how guys communicate. And yep. that's that's freaking awesome. School of the Year has painted painted the lines for how college fishing operates. And it and me saying that there's a lot of teams with a lot of type A anglers that are self-interested is not necessarily me making a poke at those teams. It's me mm -hmm. saying that, you know, that honestly is a lot of times how these teams have such good tournaments is they've got so many guys that are so confident in what they do and the way that they do it, that they do it their way every single tournament and it works. And Honestly, the competition amongst the anglers in these teams is just as influential as them trying to beat everyone else in the field. Like trying to beat their buddy. Most yeah. correct. It's like fishing in your local club tournament. Even when you're fishing for eighty dollars, there's a lot of times where you much more often are are fishing just to just to beat you you know the guys in your club than anything else. Yeah, I didn't take that comment of type A personalities as a, as a knock or a poke on them. I think it's more, and 
at the end of the day, I think those guys that you're speaking about, they would be proud to be to be labeled that way. Uh, Kaipe, hardhead, they're going to do what they're going to do. I mean, that's the that guy is the guy that survives in this space. So I, I hope no one took that as you throwing shade. I don't think it was. I think it was a compliment um, because it, it speaks to their confidence, and and that's something that a person has to have. So. Man, I tell you, I just looked down at the time, Drew. We've been talking forever. I feel like we've gotten into some sports psychology. We've gotten into some of your history. And, young man, I got to say, you're half my age. And uh, I was in college fishing before it was cool. But my vision was always to see it create these kind of opportunities for guys such as yourself. And I can promise you, I've talked about on the podcast some, I'm fishing with an 11 or 12-year-old right now uh, who's a friend of a friend. It's a it's a friend's child and that 11 year old boy is consuming your content voraciously and so as a guy in his mid-40s talking to a guy in his mid-20s who knows there's a guy that's happier age out there who's learning from you to advance this thing about the shoulder of giants i mean dude this thing's trickling down and it's just cool what a feel-good topic and and it makes me happy about the sport so Congratulations to you and your colleagues and the coaches and the organizations that are doing this stuff. Um, Y'all are building a better breed of bass fishermen. So props to you for that. And, and to you, young man, congratulations on an awesome start to a career. Uh, I want to talk to Drew more Vance. I think we need, I think we need a young gun AC insider. Um, I think this guy's got it. What do you think? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hey, from a selfish standpoint, I'm rooting for Drew. Uh, you know, because anybody who's not only learned this much, but is, uh, you know, shifting my perspective and helping to continually educate me as I go along, man, I'm rooting for you because that's my whole thing. I want to catch more fish, you know. That's why I consume uh, the live coverage of stuff and all. One, yeah, to root these guys on because I'm interested in the sport, but also what can I take from it? Next time I go to the water, you know. So people that have the heart of a teacher like Drew does and, and uh, they're paying attention and sharing, Man, I'm rooting for you, buddy. I want I want to continue to follow you, follow your career, follow your YouTube, and, and learn along with you, Drew. And I I really appreciate that, man. Like that's the thing is is the moment that we stop trying to learn in the sport and try to learn from each other and from watching. You know, I'm a fan of this sport just as much as I am a competitor. And uh, the more we try and and you know change the way we fish and adapt our style to incorporate lots of different things and, and learn lots of different processes, the better we're going to be as a result. And uh, it just keeps elevating the game and the sport. You know, the sport's more difficult now than it's ever been, and it's only going to continue to get that way. So if you ever want to stay on the top of your game and ahead of the fish, you got to keep learning. That's awesome. Four. Hey, Drew, you're welcome to stick around. Vance and I will talk about less uh, interesting things. We get into the personal part of the podcast, but you're welcome to stay. But I have got to take a break and run a few commercials. Like you, I got to do some sales and marketing to make sure that uh, we keep the power on here and keep recording these podcasts. So with that, guys, uh, special thanks to Drew. He may stick around with us. He's certainly welcome to. But Vance and I got to take a break and uh, help keep the lights on. So how about a word from our sponsors? And we'll be back to wrap this thing up. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmans.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse, shop one of over 130 locations nationwide and growing. 
Since 1968, One Boat Company has stood as the gold standard for quality, performance, innovation, safety, and resale value. Ranger Boats. Ranger's passion for perfection is evident in every boat that leaves our facilities. Whether it's bound for lakes and rivers for fishing and fun, or targeting trophy tuna and blue water. Ceaseless innovation results in top-tier boats that have made Ranger the go-to for tournament anglers and weekenders alike. And the new Z521R and Z520R redefine what a premium bass boat can be. Ranger, still building legends, one at a time. At Mercury, there are no limits to the lengths we'll go to make sure you have no limits either. Unlimited adrenaline. Unlimited fun. Unlimited weekend. Except maybe having to go home eventually. Introducing the all-new V8 Mercury Pro XS. Light, quick, efficient. Mercury, go boldly. This segment is brought to you by Humminbird, Minn Kota, and their One Boat Network. All right, everybody, welcome back to the AC Insider Podcast. Uh, just coming off a long interview with a young angler. Vance, I was kind of blown away. I knew I knew the sport was changing, and I felt like Drew would be a great guy to get perspective from. Uh, I mean, that, that dude's got it going on, and that's super cool. That's not, to his point, that's not a knock on him. I didn't think he was a dummy. But I didn't expect the in, the intellectual thought that that went with the answers and and his perspective. That was not a young man in his twenties having fun at college's perspective. That was a young professional. Yes, yes, that's a guy who's about his business. Uh, he's taking notes, paying attention, and, and that's what's so important. Where do you put your attention, your focus? You know, you get good at the things that you focus on, and he is definitely focusing on. Getting that uh, marketing degree, business marketing, which is going to help him greatly in the sport. But uh, also, man, on the water, just big picture things, not just, hey, here, you know, here's some tips and tricks with a crankbait. Here's how, you know, fish a football jig. But, dude, the big picture, the pattern breakdown. And what part of the country am I in? And how does this lake pattern? Can I pattern fish here? Uh, what are the fish doing? How, you know, Things like that, uh, like I say, generally go with wisdom, which goes with age and years. And some of these guys, especially Drew, just seem to be getting it so much earlier, so much younger, and taking advantage of the wealth of information that is out there, as well yeah, as their know, personal experience. Yeah, no doubt. You know, one of my favorite sayings, and I've used it with my with my own stepson some, because he's a young guy doing young guy things, and as young guys, we make mistakes, right? I mean, it's just part of it. But a saying around our household is is that Good, good decisions come from experience. Unfortunately, experience comes from bad decisions, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and and so, you know, and Drew hit on that. He's like, dude, what a better, you know, he, for, for our listeners, uh, we offered for him to stick around with us. And he actually had pulled back up to the university coming back from that AFCO open. So he was there. He needed to turn in receipts, get things taken care of. He had schoolwork to do and all that stuff. But like literally during our call, you know, he flipped a switch, right? He went from traveling, competing angler to, hey, I'm back at school. I got to get this stuff done because I've got to swap mm -hmm. boats and I got to do this and I got to do that. And uh, and doing all that on somebody else's dime. Now, we, you got to use that loosely, right? Because doing college on somebody else's dime, at the end of the day, uh, you're still spending money, right? It, whether it's yeah. going to tuition yeah. or it's going to whatever, you, the, the angler still has a burden to get something out of their education beyond the fishing. And, you know, I've always been amazed at like, uh, 
So I had a scholarship that covered tuition, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to pay for books. So I had to pay for housing. So I had to pay for food. I had to pay for everything that actually really cost money. They just let me yeah. sit in the classroom for free when you think about it. I was like, mm -hmm. wait a minute. This is this is a scam. I mean, yeah, no, no joke. If there's 40 kids in the classroom, not 41, it didn't cost you anything. Come on, man. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, there's still a, a tremendous outlay of expense and time and effort and energy to pursuing that college degree and going to doing that. And uh, some of the guys, like I said, jumped right on into the, you know, the competitive side of fishing without going to the college route. But I think that college fishing, that just college experience in general, was going to help prepare these guys for business in the sport of bass fishing as, as it would for any other endeavor, for sure. Great program. Good to see guys like Drew taking advantage of that uh, and learning, learning and sharing and passing that knowledge on to yeah, even well, older guys like us, you know. No, I learned some stuff today, some mental things and some different ways to think about stuff. I'm not sure that I'm even done learning from it, but some of the things that were said yeah, yeah. really resonated a little bit. And I'll, I'll think about those the next time I get some time on the bow of the boat for sure. But, you know, one point that jumped out at me, we, we rattled off the, the eight guys that are moving on to the elite series, technically nine because of the double qualifier, but half of them, half of them were competitive in college. So that, that says a lot. Um, you know, I tell you one that I definitely want to get on the show and talk to is this Trey McKinney. He's a strike King lose guy, uh, friends of the show. And Trey is 18 years old, dude. And, and he just made the elite series. He can't even go out and have a, a, a beer to celebrate making the elite <laughs> series. And the, the crazy thing for me, I think you and I've talked about this off air before, but I can remember somebody reaching out to me when Trey was, I'm going to guess 12, 13 years old. Uh, I know he did a bunch of stuff in the junior stuff over in Illinois. And I had a, a friend in the industry who had an opportunity to talk to him at a show or something. And he literally called me from the show and he's like, man, I'm talking to this guy by the name of Trey McKinney. He's going to be a big deal. He's going to be a big deal. You should work with him while he's young um, because you won't be able to afford him forever. You know, and, and I kind of laughed, you know, I laughed. And that was just three years ago. I was like, he's 15. He's liable to get his license and decide that he would rather do other things or, you know, things that 16 year old boys do, you know, and, and the Discover guy girls. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's been the death. It, it's been the yeah. run of many a fine young fisherman, uh, the, the freedom that comes with the license and, and the allure of the opposite sex and all the different distractions. And um, yeah, when he told me at 15, this kid was going to be a big deal. I said, you're out of your mind. There's a lot of stuff that can go wrong between 15 and making the elite series. And uh, here I sit with egg on my face. I should have done it. <laughs> I, I should have. I should have yeah. at least tried. Uh, I know our friends at Strike yeah. King and Lose. I'm sure. You know. I'm sure they can do more for a career than what our brand could have at the time. But uh, it, it's interesting that you identify some of these people at an early age where you're like, that dude's got it. You know. And and I can go back into early days of Jacob Wheeler stories here in Indiana, and there were people that said that at him at that age too. And I guess I'm a believer now, you know, now when a young man or woman with that talent wants to pursue it, there is a feeder system that can teach it and they can do it. Right. And yeah. that keeps, that gives those young people while they're younger and more passionate than you and I, it keeps them in that space to, to have the opportunity. So I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. Well, as far as the rest of the world, it kind of threw off our segments on our podcast today, but I think it was worthwhile. You know, it's uh, this is our mid-October edition. Things are cooling down up here. Kind of took a look around. Not a lot going on. The last open just finished up uh, down in your neck of the woods on the Harris chain. Were you surprised by yep. the weights? No, not really. Um, 
you know, almost 40 pounds. Nobody, nobody did 40 pounds three days. That's not really, I would have thought somebody would have probably done 15 a day, you know, mm-hmm. but the problem is it's going to start fishing kind of small, you know, as the tournament goes on, it's not necessarily the kind of place where you can whack fish on the same spot for three days. So as these guys start stepping on each other's toes, I mean, 17 a day, will make you a hero down here in the fall on the St. John's River and places like the Harris Canyon. I kind of thought maybe we'd see that. Maybe we'd see 50 pounds. Can't say I'm shocked. I mean, yeah, right. that's, that's, that's tough weights, but I can't say I'm shocked. Right. You know, uh, I mean, it's fall everywhere, and then fishing in the fall is more, you're just going to catch more two or three pounders chasing bait. The big fish seem to get scarce, you know. Uh, but congratulations to Matt Messer for winning that. Uh, he's some close, kind of up your way there, Warfield, Kentucky. You know, one of those guys that's fished up there in those tough conditions y'all are used to. So kind of a grinder's event. And you see the grinders come out and shine in that kind of a tournament. So good for him, good for that guy. Yeah, no doubt. Oh. Yeah, it's same thing up here. Fall fishing's underway. We're starting to see a few fall classics. Uh, anybody that's interested in schedules can head over to the Angler's Channel website. We've got schedules coming up. We've got results posted for a lot of those events. While we're talking about schedules, uh, anybody that's listening that is a tournament director, club organizer, or whatever, uh, be sure to hit up David and get those 2024 schedules sent in. He's loading all that stuff in the site now. Uh, And likewise, as you wrap up your fall tournament, send us your results. We'll get those posted. Uh, Got out and did a little fishing myself over the weekend. Fished a club tournament. Uh, Not my club. I got to be a guest. And... You know, I guess I'm just a competition junkie. We we showed up and there was like seven or eight boats. And, you know, my partner's like super chill and I'm keyed up. He's like, dude, why are you so fired up? I said, because we're keeping score. And he's like, yeah, it's just a club tournament for fun. And I said, no, nah, if we're keeping score, I, w- I want the top score, man. That's just, I don't know any other way to do it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but we threw a, threw, called a bit of an audible and, and we locked down and fished for smallmouth and spotted bass and, uh, had a good smallmouth right off the bat, caught a decent spot right off the bat. And then, I don't know, we had the front move through and the weather kind of changed and we grinded around. We got our five fish, um, but we didn't do any good. So I came in fourth in a eight boat tournament. <laughs> so, hey, uh, you know. Yeah, middle I'll of the field, what, right? Hey, so a couple, I don't know, three, four years back, my son and I signed up on Tourney X to fish up like a nationwide kayak tournament, you know, just fish anywhere you want. We're going to go around to the little lake I grew up on over here. And okay. Yeah. Let's just put our, well, I don't know, it's like 30 bucks, you know, get in and fundraise or whatever. Like, cool. We'll do it. So come time for the tournament. We're the only two guys that entered in the country, me and him. I'm like, well, one of us is one of the tournament today. Let's go. And uh, we had a good time. And I came in second in the national tournament, you know, uh, which means my kid beat me, but uh, right. you know, that's this. Again, it was still like, okay, come on, I'm, I'm gonna put it on you. I'm gonna put it on you. Take you, teach you a lesson today, young man. He, uh, no, it was the competitive instinct is great. You know, it's it's always fun. Of course, That's it was always fun. I take you fishing. I was just taking fishing for fun anyway, right? And all of a sudden, right. yeah, we're doing good, and I'll catch a fish, and he'll catch two, and he'll go, oh, I'm winning now. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even know we were competing. It's kind of like one of the things, you know, race that go, I'm gonna race you. So, uh, you know, the competitive instincts are alive and well with my boy and, and the next generation. So. Yeah, that makes it fun, man. Sure. It does. It does. You know, we've got one more, and I've talked about it some. We've, we've got a November tournament, so that's why we're getting out and looking around, trying to do some different things. And uh, I guess maybe after talking to Drew, I need to just scrap what I think I know, <laughs> right? Right. And, and, yeah. and just 
go fish and see what the, what the fish are telling me. But as things wind down, you know, one thing I wanted to point out, uh, kind of tooling around on the internet, seeing what was going on for fall fishing, our friends at Ranger, uh, inflation buster savings going on right now. Visit your White River Marine Group boat dealers and Ranger in particular, they've got up to $8,000 off, uh, throwing in some gift cards there as well. So they've got a little something going on for anybody that's still got the bug right now. And uh Mercury Marine also running a sweepstakes right now. Visit your local Mercury dealer. They've got a QR code for you to scan. Uh, they've got prizes for Yeti. They've got an underwater scooter and a bunch of Mercury swag that's available as well. So I can tell by the look on your face, the underwater scooter threw you off the same way it did me. Man, so. <laughs> I, I have ridden some scooters underwater, but you weren't supposed to. I didn't know that was a no. thing. I, I no, feel like a pioneer. This isn't a drunken off the pier type thing. This is a uh, no, yeah, I'm right off the dock, baby. We built a ramp and everything. Woo! Right. Oh, I cool. believe I believe I believe that. But when I saw underwater scooter, <laughs> I had to actually dig a little deeper with our friends at Google, and uh, it's pretty cool, man. It kind of reminds me of a uh, well, you know what a manta looks like, right? Kind of a the manta, the fish with the curved yeah, yeah, wheels. Yeah. It's kind of like a, right. a it looks like a manta with two little motors and two handle grips. And it's got a thing where you can mount some electronics. So if you want to go down and and underwater view, and I don't know, I guess. Okay, okay. How long until we see an underwater scooter tournament trail? Now this that's the next thing. I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm still waiting on my heads up VR glasses that integrate with my Humminbird. Uh, but maybe uh -huh. it won't be. You know, maybe it won't be long, and we'll have remote operated scooters we can send down there too to uh, figure out. In my case. I can't tell if I'm looking at smallmouth on my scope or if I'm looking at drum. Apparently, they're all drum based on my catches. But, uh, you know, maybe if I had an underwater scooter to send down there, we could check that out and save me from having to wrangle any drum. Well, I'll uh, tell you what, I got some help coming up, Danny, on the uh, Angler Channel Bass Wrap-Up TV show this season. I just talked to our producer, Kenny Kerno, who's going to use some of the footage I just shot this week up in Tennessee uh, with new – BPT qualifier Nick Hatfield kind of came to mind. Young guy, mm -hmm. really good with the uh, with the electronics there, and uh, he was showing me. He was demonstrating on crappie and white bass, and eventually uh, caught a smallmouth on top water using the scope. Uh, you're gonna have to tune in to see how that happened. Yeah, nobody talks about using the top water with you know scoping type techniques, but uh, you know these young guys like like we've learned today, they're they're really they're all about it and they're enterprising and and section with Hatfield especially is going to be cool, but uh, I was able to shoot some good video with, with some of those guys. There were John Hunter, Fletcher Shryock. Uh, oh, know, JVD, um, JVD's big striper. JVD. JVD did, did a on, great one. Did you get him catching that striper on a crankbait? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's going to be some fun footage. That's going to be good. He catches a couple of small mouth, and then he hooks into the striper, and it's like, yeah, if that's a small mouth, it's a monster. But, uh, right. you know, it'll be a, Brandon Colfer caught a nice, uh, nice striper in some, you know, mixed bag on a, on a glide bait. The new soft uh, Berkeley Nessie. He's able to skip mm -hmm. it, so you can skip this glide bait around some uh, pontoons and things in a marina. That was a really cool new application for a glide bait that I've never seen. Uh, right. It's gonna be some fun stuff come out of those few days on the water that I got spent with these MLF Pro guys that Brandon put together and was so gracious had us all to his house on Watts Bar. We all had a really good time and. Learned a lot. We're going to share that with you. So look forward to that on the, uh, the TV show coming up. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm sure we'll put some on the website. 
Yep, yep. I need them off the I need them off the server from you to get them on the website, but they'll definitely make the TV show. And while we're talking TV show, we're just a few more weeks away from the premiere on Discovery. So Saturday mornings, we'll be doing the the uh, Angler's Channel wrap up show on Discovery. Uh, as we get a little closer, we'll get those times. Of course, we'll do a press release on the website so folks know. But, you know, along those lines of AC Insider and things going on, you got to go film. And uh, we got another AC Insider out at Lake Mojave this week. While we were uh, doing our podcast, I got a couple videos. So Ricky Bosford, Bass 365, he's out at the One Bass U.S. Open. And they're out in the high desert, I'm guessing, probably looking for smallmouth there, too. Uh, so mm -hmm. we'll have some content heading to the website when the podcast wraps up we'll have coverage on days one two and three of the u.s open so if you're still looking for tournament fixes we've got what you need all that is on anglerschannel.com uh, proud to be your number one tournament bass fishing resource vance uh didn't have time for a deep dive this week but i think that we probably i feel like we went pretty deep personally and, and we did more the we mental did. side Went deep on the mental side, yes, yes. That's and that's so important. That applies to every day on the water, everything, everything. You know, just something you always need is that mental side. Yeah, well, and some of the stuff that he talked about, I mean, there, it's philosophical stuff, but it'll help you in life, right? So, so maybe we yeah, can. Yeah. I, I may, I may do a hashtag life help on this podcast when we post it because uh, there was some good stuff in there. I hope the the viewer or listeners enjoyed it, and uh, you know, guys, we're going to wrap this thing up. Encourage you to take a look around anglerschannel.com for all things bass fishing. And until the next one, uh, I'm your host, Danny Blanford, checking out and signing out. Losers and innovation. We're on to the next one. We hope to hear you Lose is founded on a rich heritage of building the best. 70 years of cutting edge innovation with one goal in mind to answer the call of passionate anglers who demand reliability, durability, Delivering the best for you to perform at your best on and off the water. Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse. Also brought to you in part by Pro Charging Systems, makers of the Dual Pro Chargers, TH Marine, Trick Step, Toyota Bonus Bucks, Costa Conserve and Compete. And of course, anglerschannel.com, your number one tournament bass fishing resource.